and welcome to Ethics and Marketing Podcast. My name is Mikhail Mizgin, and today I joined by Stefana Mel. Data is the cornerstone of digital marketing. When it comes to ethics, it's arguably the most discussed topic – collection and abuse of data, privacy, tracking, and so on. Stefan and I talk about these problems, but we also talk about what it means for businesses to adopt ethical practices. Is ethical marketing also more profitable for companies? But what if a more ethical approach reduces profit? These questions are not easy in a real-world environment, where profit is often the only goal and the pressure is strong. We dive into these questions in this interview that was recorded last year. And now to the conversation. Hi, Stefan. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk about privacy, ethics, and uh, just openly have a genuine conversation. Yeah. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? I'm a freelance consultant. I'm also teaching marketing and analytics to MBAs and uh, uh, executive MBAs and uh, continued education. As a freelance consultant, do obviously a lot of different things, a little bit of jack-of-all-trades, so it can be uh, more on the technical side of digital analytics, so measuring marketing performance and so on. Uh, or it can go much more on the uh, strategy side of things and developing roadmaps for handling data in a more privacy and ethical way and uh, obviously coaching my clients in doing so. So a lot of things on the privacy side and the ethical use of data for marketing purposes. So what's your story with becoming an advocate for data ethics and marketing? I've been working for... 35 years now so i have gray hair i'm I'm getting a little bit older but uh seriously you know all my career initially was uh, much more on the technical side so uh, computer science degree so i've always worked with data trying to understand business processes and uh, optimize those processes through data and eventually i switched more on the marketing side of things and a more strategic approach to it but like anyone else these days, you know, my, my data was leaked from a financial institution. I receive email from companies that I've used years and years ago saying, oh, we're sorry, we just had a data leak, so we want to let you know. Don't worry about it. You know, your privacy is really important to us and all, always the same message. And also working with clients. And part of what I've done also is coaching agencies so they could develop their own analytics practice, right? So kind of train the trainer. And very often I was under the keys to the customer data, even if I'd never asked for it, even if I, I didn't need it. But I was just given like it's an open gate to access anything they have internally, which really didn't make sense. So gradually I got more, I guess, aware and sensitive to all those issues. And eventually also at a conference, I was asked a little bit at the last minute to do a Q&A with Christopher Wiley, the uh, whistleblower from Cambridge Analytica. And that was also a, you know, a turning point for me to say, okay, uh, when you spend 
30, 30, 45 minutes with this guy in a, in a backstage room and, and start to talk about all the issues surrounding privacy and the, the real story behind Cambridge Analytica, uh, you realize that there's a ton of Cambridge Analytica out there. There's data brokers that are still doing exactly the same thing that Cambridge did. So gradually, I started to be much more interested into privacy, not, not necessarily from the legal sense of it, from the legal perspective, but more from an ethical approach to the use of data. And maybe you kind of answered this question with Cambridge Analytica and this example, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. So marketing has a long history, relatively speaking, and ethics is not heavily featured in this history, to say the least. A lot of manipulative tactics are commonly used as best practices in marketing. Mm -hmm. There is no code of ethics, at least that I'm not aware of any code of the mm -hmm. ethics in marketing. Yeah, you're right. So why things should change with data ethics? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like <clears throat> manipulation has yeah. been going on for decades and mm. data ethics is relatively new, right, in, in this bigger picture. And after all, it's just another aspect where an unethical practice can continue to be used with the end goal of creating profit. Yeah, yeah. But you know, from a marketing perspective, there's always been rogue players, companies that were using tactics. So if you tactics that were deemed unethical. So years and years ago, there were commercials where there was subliminal messages in those messages. So that, that was deemed unethical and that what that has nothing to do with the internet. So, you know, unethical behavior in marketing existed long before the internet. And there's a fine line, I think, between marketing for the right purpose, which is building trust between a potential consumer and the brand that tries to sell something, right? So, so marketing for me, at least the way I see it is, is all about building the trust that you need from consumers to so that they say, yes, I believe in you and I want your, I think your tool, your service will help me in my life and solve my problem. But there's always people and, you know, brands, companies that are doing stuff that is deemed unethical and eventually deemed illegal because there's always a lag between what the common people on the street will say, yeah, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like that. I don't want this. And the time it takes for regulations to get in action and really say, no, 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 you cannot do that. I think the big difference now is that with digital marketing and, and the amount of data that, that is collected, I can give you just a very simple analogy. You can still go in a phone book and find some, well, if you find a phone book <laughs> in the first place, but a physical one and find someone's address and name and, you know, go in front of the of the house and take pictures even if you're that would be illegal probably but you know be creepy about it you can still do that but it requires time energy you know it, you have to to find ways to do it the difference is is the scale at which it can be done in the automation and and how quickly it can fall on the creepy, unethical, and illegal side of it, and just harvesting data on, on the internet just because it's there, it's public, right? Yeah, it, it's public. Like, you, yes, you can look up people's address and phone numbers very, fairly easily on the internet, right? But it doesn't mean that you're, you can 
actually harvest all of that information and create automation with it and, and hassle people and be creepy about it. So you think it's the scale of the problem that makes it slightly different because the data, you know, it's commonly known as big data. There mm -hmm. is so much of it. Yeah. Uh, so it can produce as big other problems. Think of it as on a personal basis. If from time to time you would receive a call from some company saying, hey, I think you, you would really like our product. It would be quite annoying, but it would happen, you know, maybe once every three months. You would say, ah, you know, maybe you would say, oh, yes, I actually need that. And you would, you would purchase the product. But nowadays, we, we don't like that. Right? We don't want companies to call us at home, out of the blue, at any time of the day, and try to sell us something. But in the past, it was happening once, you know, not very often. And there was some, some, some targeting that was done. You know, the company was calling only people on, in certain areas. And it was actually someone calling, not a but calling, right? But now, if there was no regulation and it, it was, if it was still the same, we would be getting calls all day long from all kinds of companies around the world so, trying to sell us anything. That wouldn't make any sense. So oftentimes, the, uh, people push back on privacy and ethics because they say, yeah, but when someone walks in the physical store, I can track them and I can still you know, watch them and I don't have to ask permission. So why is it? not okay to do it on a website because it's not the same because when you walk in a store you can always turn back if you realize that the the manager is is actually walking just beside you and watching everything you do you will say, oh no that's creepy i'm going to turn around and even if it's anonymous even if the, if that manager doesn't actually know who you are what's your name and everything but they can still see oh you're male or female, what's your age group and what are you looking at and which box you take on the, on the shelf. And we wouldn't accept that, but that's we, what we accept on a website, right? Uh, without permission, without consent and using tools or methods uh, that are creepier and creepier because they can track even more and track you when you get out of the store and go to their competitor store they can still track you if we talk about ad networks. Yeah, I think there was a case somewhere in the UK where a retailer implemented hidden web cameras mm -hmm. in a physical store and they were hidden in dummies. <laughs> and th those cameras were tracking uh, what sections of the store, what aisles people were staying mm -hmm. longer. They were checking, you know, like yeah. gender and maybe age profile, I don't know. Yeah. But that turned out as like a scandalous thing pretty quickly and pretty fast that store closed this operation. Yeah. But, but you know, the, yeah. the, the technology actually exists. It's used in airports. It's used in you know, train stations. It's used in, it can be used in stores also, where as soon as someone enters the perimeter, that person is detected on camera and given an ID anonymous id oh that's harmless it's anonymous right but they will be able to track that person as they walked in in the store or an airport you know if we think about airports for example you, you might think oh yeah okay but there's a real security purpose there 
right? They want to to make sure that there's no security issues and so on. So that's, you know, do we classify that as being, okay, I'm willing to compromise my privacy for the sake of the greater good of security for everyone, for example. We, we might say, yeah, okay, that, that's fine. I accept that. But when you walk into a store, there's the same idea. They might use tracking for security purposes. And we might say, okay, in today's society, that's something we need to accept. But when when it reaches a point where they can give you an anonymous ID as soon as you enter the store, see everywhere you go in the store, and of course identify uh, or find out, you know, gender, age. Uh, it can, you know, it goes as far as in in some cases, like vending machines have cameras and they can determine. Uh, if your skin is too dry or how much you weigh and if you have bags in your hands and stuff like that. And, and all of that can be used for marketing purposes. So we, there are certain things that we can accept and, and I'm totally okay with that. But it's when it reaches a, a certain point that we say, oh, wait a minute, you know, it's going too far. Because if I'm in the store and they've done all of that, when I go for payment and I use my point cards, boom, now they know exactly who I am. And they know all of my history and they know a, a lot more about me. As a consumer, I might say, yeah, I really like this store. I'm okay with that. And I get some benefits in the forms of points and discounts and targeted campaigns. If I like the brand, if I like the store and I'm a customer that really trusts the brand with the way to use my data, I might say, yeah, sure, go ahead, do it. But the, the first thing they should do is, Ask if I'm okay with that. And that's often the part that isn't done. That's why I'm talking about no consent, no tracking, right? It's like, yeah, sure, do it, but ask for permission. Mm -hmm. No consent, no tracking. Mm -hmm. But is informed consent even possible? Like considering the complexity of mm -hmm. the data cycle, the amount of text that, you know, we need to read to really yeah. understand it and... You know, I, I need to have like uh, legal knowledge. I need to have technical knowledge <laughs> yeah. to really comprehend it. And we visit dozens of websites. So we need to spend months and months of time every year to just read all that. So, yeah. So and we wouldn't are, you know, even understand anyway. Exactly. Says. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. But the problem is that we're confusing the legal requirement with the ethical requirement, right? The legal requirement is you need to put out a policy, uh, a privacy policy and a cookie consent banner, which is absolutely crap. And that oftentimes using dark patterns to push you to say, accept all because that's the easiest answer. And it doesn't mean that the actual state of the legal requirement will always remain the same. Like, for example, we recognize now that cookie banners, well, a lot of people, I cannot say it's generalized, but a lot of people recognize now that cookie banners are, are not the answer. Because they, you go on, you land on a website, the first thing it, it does is pop up this super ugly <laughs> cookie banner that oftentimes is written in a way that is either it, you don't understand clearly what it means, or if you do understand what it means, it's going to be written in a way that is, is going to lure you into accepting the cookies. But it's not about the cookies. I don't care if you use cookies or whatever. What I care about is what kind of information are you collecting? What are you going to do with it? And so on. We call them cookie banners. And most of the time it talks about cookies, but it never talks about the value proposition of the tracking. Right? It says, oh, we, we, want to, we want you to accept cookies because we want to track you 
Well, yeah, but why? Why would I accept that? So that's one aspect. The other aspect is why isn't there, for example, what Apple has done for the icons that they use in communicating the purpose of, okay, this is what we're going to collect. This is the purpose. This is the scope of what we want to collect. So the, the privacy labels that Apple has created, as I think, has done more in educating the, the market in a few months than years of GDPR trying to educate the market because it it's done in a way that for consumer, it's much simpler to understand what is going on. It's not perfect. But why don't we have that on websites? Why don't we have simple icons standardized that says, we use this data for this purpose. Here's the scope. And if you want more details, yeah, go ahead and read the, private, the privacy policy. So that, that, to me, that's one example. The other, the other thing is, what about incremental consent? Instead of coming on a website that right away has a banner that says, here's all the tracking we want to do about you, uh, essential and uh, analytics and marketing and experience enhancement and this and that. And why isn't it coming in the user experience when it is actually needed, not right in your face when you enter the website? So I think there's arguments and there's probably ways to improve in the future how all of this consent is handled in, in a more ethical way, but also a more you know, compliant way from a legal perspective. Yeah, I definitely like how Apple approached this situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that their intentions may be not the best, but they definitely help to move the awareness in this privacy problem mm -hmm. really far among general population. Yeah. You know what? One of the things I do when I speak at conferences, and I've been doing that for years, is I ask the audience if they use an ad blocker. And we know that depending on the where you look, which uh, study and research you look at, you might find that it's maybe 30% of the general population use an ad blocker and it's increasing. So some some you know numbers will say, oh, it's 40% or whatever. So whatever the ratio, let's say there is about 30% of the general population that use an ad blocker. When I speak at conferences and there's an audience of marketers and people who are data aware, I would say, and I ask them if they use an ad blocker, guess what is the ratio of people using an ad blocker? It's the opposite. It's 70% of the people. So if general population is 30%, 70% of the marketers use an ad blocker. So to me, it's like right there. There's a problem. There's an issue. It's like, oh, you work for you work for a car manufacturer, but you won't buy those cars because you don't trust them. <laughs> don't impose upon upon others what you wouldn't impose on yourself. And, and of course, the marketers will say, oh yeah, but it's because I'm doing tests and because I don't want to pollute my data and so on. That's that's BS. They use ad blockers because they understand how it works. They understand how, you know, creepy it is. It doesn't mean even for myself. Even if I use tools to to block ads and so on and limit the tracking, it's on by default. But there are some sites and some brands that I like that I trust, and I turn it off, but only for those. So in general, the door is locked, and I decide when I want to open it. That's that's the way I see it. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to talk about something more controversial. Mm -hmm. um, I like that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, 
you say data ethics is good for business. Mm -hmm. And I often hear statements like this, that ethical marketing, more generally, is more effective too. Mm -hmm. I'm extremely skeptical about this. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why we have regulations. We can't rely on people doing the right thing for many different reasons. Mm -hmm. What do you think about a common conflict between ethics and profitability? Yeah. The problem, you know, of putting shareholders above customers and well, uh, you got often it right above there. ethics too, right? Yeah, you, well, you, you got it right there. Putting shareholders before customers. From a mar if we talk about marketing, then the customer is, is the king. And here I'm only talking about marketing. I'm not talking about, you know, the, the long-term involvement or the long-term survival of a company. But if we only think about marketing, who do you want to please? The customer, nobody else. Like if you don't have customers because they don't trust your brand and they don't put the money on the table, you won't have shareholders anyway. So yes, you, you, the regulation, the law is there. And that's kind of the minimum common ground that you need to respect. You need to be legal. Otherwise, you're illegal. You're going to be in trouble. Your shareholders aren't going to be in trouble and, and so on. But to me, the, the legal compliance is kind of the minimum common ground that everyone needs to follow. But beyond that, that's where the ethics becomes interesting. Because if we think about Oh, one example I often use is uh, think about uh, a brand. Let's. I'm just going to throw one brand, Patagonia. Right there, if I say that, something's come to mind. Patagonia, well, recently in the news, the owners, the family actually kind of gave away the whole company to make sure that the spirit and the culture of the company would be protected in the future. That's unprecedented. That's amazing, right? But even before that, when we think about Patagonia, we think about good products, ethical from an environmental perspective, respectful of their employees. While they don't really have shareholders because the, the family is or was the owners of the company, which probably is a really, really good thing in these you know, actual economic downturns and so on. But I think that's, that's one of the issues is, are you... Are you working to please shareholders in the short term or working to build an amazing company in the long term and make a difference in the world? Let's say, you know, if we think about missions and values and stuff like that. So to me, the ethical use of data is exactly the same thing as companies changing their processes and really being conscious about the environment or really making a difference in terms of employment and equal opportunities and stuff like that. It becomes a brand value. It becomes something that customers, when they have a choice to make, they will have a choice between a company that doesn't care about the environment, is is not fair with their employees and, and use uh, data in unethical ways, or they will have the choice of a company that do all those things. Which one is going to win the long term? To me, that's where the value is. So yeah, mm -hmm. it might be controversial because oftentimes... You know, people will say, yeah, but if I'm ethical and I do all that stuff, but my competitor doesn't, in the short term, the competitor might win a little bit. But in the long term, who's going to be there? I bet the one that has more ethical behavior in all aspects of businesses, of business management, is going to be there in the long term. Mm -hmm. So let's take an example of Amazon. Yep. They have all sorts of issues yes. related to employees, Mm -hmm. And other things 
they are not on top of the list of privacy-minded yeah, companies. The, the best employers to work for, for example. Right. So yeah. all these aspects, they you know they don't really make the top. But there is this situation where they aggressively took over the market, and mm-hmm. they are in a position where it's unlikely to happen that you know they're going to back off. They're going to yeah. give away you know some share of the market. But most importantly for me, if we look at general population consumers, Amazon gives them a lot of convenience. Yes. And people seems to prefer that. Like mm-hmm. people express some sort of shame when they buy off Amazon. Like they mm-hmm. don't feel really good about buying on Amazon, but they do it anyway because yes. it's so convenient. Mm-hmm. And yep. so for me, like at what point this will change, right? Uh, yep. So Amazon is clearly using this disposition of population uh, that they choose convenience mm-hmm. over ethical concerns. Yes. You know, even even in case when they are aware of ethical problems, which might not be the case with data, right? But they certainly aware with uh, problems related to employees, let's say. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. still keep doing that. Yeah. But of course, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, but Amazon grew in a context that allowed it to build that dominant position. Right. So and and that, you know, Amazon started what twenty years ago or f- at least fifteen, I don't remember, but you know, before before a lot of the today's um state of you know what people the values have evolved basically and amazon didn't didn't start from day one being being the 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 player that it is today of course Uh, there were other players at the time and amazon so we were talking about uh marketing ethics and amazon used tactics to dominate the market just like uber also did the same thing they disrupted the market in ways that maybe legally was borderline or even legally was challenged, but it took a long time to be challenged. Um, just like Expedia at the time when they came out, they challenged, they, they disrupted the market of uh, you know booking and stuff like that. And they used tactics that from an ethical perspective, maybe were not you know, super, super good, from a legal perspective, they walked the fine line and maybe sometimes they got in trouble for that, but they, they gained a position. But how many, you know, Amazon is there in the world, like dominating the, this kind of business? I'm thinking more about, let's say, uh, a certain brand of car versus another or a certain brand of... So so I think Amazon is a, a unique, kind of a unique case because they're, they are almost a monopoly right now, right? So what's going to happen in the future? And we can think of other businesses like that. Facebook, how Facebook dominated the market. Now it's it's changing, right? Uh, their, their numbers just came out and their profit are going down. The number of users is stagnating or going down. And there's other players that are emerging. But Facebook grew in a context that allowed it to grow to that size. And why? Because they exploited the the data and they used tactics that were not always super, super ethical and and sometimes illegal. 
So yeah, I mean, we we can use we can always find examples. Say, oh, look at the look at look at them. Like l- your theory doesn't work, or your your approach doesn't work because of there's one player somewhere that is, that has grown to a such a big size using tactics that were not always ethical. Yeah, but at the same time, there's the people have evolved, their values have evolved, and in the future, who's going to win? Is it Facebook is going to win if they continue to use those tactics? Amazon is going to win if they continue to use tactics where they crush play, they crush uh, the competition, or sometimes they, they are uh, literally you know, copying the products from smaller players and building it, creating, you know, manufacturing it themselves. Is it going to continue to work from a legal perspective, an ethical perspective? I'm not sure that in, if they continue the same way in 5, 10, 15 years, I'm not sure that's going to work. Yeah. Basically, that's a situation, you know, where a company does a lot of very dubious stuff, mm-hmm. but they grab a big market share and then they might change their ways, but mm-hmm. it's too, too late in terms of, you know, uh, they already outranked all competition and maybe even yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, there is no more competition. Well, yes, and, and then it becomes a monopoly, and it, there are legal legal constraints that will break down a monopoly situation, right? Well, in most of the countries, that's how Hopefully. it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you know, we're we're heading into clearly we're heading into a recession, and from a macroeconomic perspective, a recession is not is not a bad thing in the sense that some of the bigger players, older players players that have not changed their ways and processes and haven't embraced new technologies and stuff like that, they might struggle and they might stumble and they might disappear. While smaller players, not all of them, a lot of, like I'm investing and I'm an advisor to a few startups, not all of them are going to survive the economic downturn, that's for sure. But some of them are going to survive because they are more creative because they have new ways because they use different technology because they have different values because they're just lucky also (laughs) so things are going to change and uh, again hopefully there are going to be more patagonia out there than more facebook just to put two extremes right Mm -hmm. yeah so from purely ethical point of view does it even make sense to add this good for business element when we ask a question whether this certain practice is ethical. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I think so. You know, we don't say, uh, let me think of an example, um, not killing people is not only morally right, but yeah. also good for business. So, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's kind of obvious. <laughs> yeah, so, mm-hmm. uh, like, sh- should we have a pragmatic reason to make an ethical choice? Because I'm afraid that if we create a narrative that an ethical choice equals more profitability, then is it an ethical choice after all? Yeah, a, a bit like greenwashing, for example. So, so a company that is out there and saying, oh, look how good we are. We're, we care so much for the environment and so on. That's what they claim. And then when you open the cover, you look inside and you realize, no, 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 that's, that's not true that here's the things that they do that aren't right. So yeah, a business could say, oh, look how, how good we are. We, uh, you know, we use data in a certain way and, and we're so, so ethical, you, you should buy us. 
but they better they better have you know the legitimacy to do that and be willing to say let's open the book and allow people to do audits for example and prove and demonstrate that yes what they do is is fine but should we say that more uh, data ethics equals more profit i don't think that's the way i would put it it's like again it's like saying uh, being more environment environmentally oh i have a hard time saying that <laughs> conscious equals more profit it doesn't necessarily have to equal more profit because it's a core value of the organization because there's a, is there a price to business values and mission and vision of the future there's of course there's a, there's a value to that but should we always make the equation that because you care about the environment it means you're going to get more you're going to make more profit no you care about the environment because you believe in it because it's your core value as an organization, not only to do more profit, right? So that's that's how I would put it. We employ, we embrace data ethics, not because we want to do more profit, but because we value the ethical use of data. No, I agree with that. Why it's a concern for me, because I often hear in ethically-minded communities is that people like to promote the idea, you know, that ethical decisions will make you more profitable and they would use trust and uh, mm -hmm. other arguments. And I think it's my opinion. It's my opinion. It's a false narrative. I think sometimes yeah. an ethical decision equals less profitability. And I think mm -hmm. uh, we should be transparent about it. It's, it's a choice, yes. right? You like you decide to do something that you think is right and you know, you know, you 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 will have le less profit, mm -hmm. but that's what ethics is about, right? <laughs> it's well, not about bring it back to an individual level for people working in marketing and analytics. Okay, ask around how many people in our in in that field in in my field that I'm an, uh, an expert at. When I ask around if he, people would work for a company manufacturing weapons, or a company in casinos, or adults, porn and stuff like that. A lot of people would say, no, I would never work for those companies. Yeah, but you could make a ton of profit. You know, you, you could have an amazing salary and you could have a ton of benefits, but still those marketers and analysts would say, no, I don't want to work in that environment for those companies because I have values, personal values that, and it's not aligned with my personal values. Yet building weapons, porn, and casinos in most of the countries around the world, it's not illegal, but people still say, no, I don't want to work for those companies. So bring it back to the company level. They might say, yeah, I could do a ton of profit if I do this and that and so on, but I'm not doing it because it's not aligned with my corporate values, my values as a legal entity that is a company where there are managers and owners that have values and those values might be that we care about the environment or we care about data ethics, even if it means that we're going to make less profit, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, no, both okay. worlds exists, right? There are people that will go and work for those companies and make a ton of money and then, you know, think that they are happy in life. But when they go to bed, what do they dream about, right? <laughs> yeah, so what do you think about Facebook? It's public image is linked to genocide, uh, yeah. undermining democracy, mm -hmm. and many, many other 
things that are not good. Yeah. And there are a ton of marketers and ton of data people work there. What do you think? How do, do they justify their work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've seen a few companies deciding to stop advertising on Facebook. Just this morning, I was reading well from someone who's really pushing into the privacy and, and legal compliance and so on, saying, you know what, I, I never go on Facebook. And I decided as an individual, I decided that I don't want to have any business with Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp, right? So it starts with the, the consumer. If consumers start to say, I don't like Facebook, it's going to crumble and it won't work. But we've we haven't reached that point. Is there another social media that, that's going to come out and have much stronger ethical values, for example, and, and that would compete with Facebook? Maybe that's not an easy environment. Again, Facebook is almost like a monopoly in, that, in this specific area. So yeah, it maybe it hasn't reached the point where it falls on the, on the other side where the company is, is starting will start to make less profit just like is happening right now but the the whole economy is going down so but yeah i think that's that's going to change over time but for now yes there are uh, marketers that are spending a lot of money on facebook advertising even if the company has a pretty bad reputation mm -hmm. i'm asking about marketers and data people who work at, at facebook and companies mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. facebook oh and yes so they mm -hmm. Their job is basically promote and, you know, like make it attractive, acquire mm -hmm. new users. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do they but think they have to like construct some sort of image in their heads so they could sleep well? Well, but, but just like, uh, well, it, again, it goes back to individual values. Maybe for a lot of people working at Facebook is actually a dream from a career perspective, just like for some people. Uh, you know, the oil industry is something really, really bad. They would never see themselves working there. Yet there are people working in the oil industry, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. And even if it, it it's bad for the environment and so on, but we still need it. We still need the oil. Facebook is a little bit, we often say, you know, data is the new oil. I don't agree with that. Uh, or, or maybe I agree too much with it because it has all the same issues of, you know, monopolistic practice, uh, in, in, when you look in the world, there are only a few big oil players. It's bad for the environment and so on. So yes, data is the new oil in that sense. It lacks traceability. So when you put a gas in your car, you cannot trace where exactly it's coming from. The same thing with, uh, with data oftentimes. But you will find people who are willing to work for Facebook, just like there are people willing to work for the oil industry because we still need it. And because it works <laughs> and because there's still profit to make. <laughs> I'm just wondering, 15 years ago, it was perceived completely differently. Yes. Uh, nobody saw Facebook like they see it now. Mm -hmm. The current situation is a problem for companies like Facebook in terms of hiring and finding new people mm -hmm. because maybe more and more people don't want to work for mm -hmm. a company like this because it has a certain public image and yeah. it's, it is not so, aligned with their personal values. Yeah. So take, a, take a, a really, really good software engineer, for example, and they, they have an opportunity to work for Facebook or they have an opportunity to work for another company that, that doesn't have such a bad reputation. Guess mm -hmm. where they, were, they will go, right? Yeah. So over time, that, that's going to make a difference. Yeah. And it won't be the next quarter profits. 
right? It's going to take much longer than that. <laughs> uh, so going back to the idea of shareholders, mm -hmm. and so you, you mentioned like a marketing goal is to put the customer in the center and do everything for the customer, but there is this conflict with shareholders and the yeah. demand to deliver value this quarter, mm -hmm. this fiscal year, you know, you know yeah. how it goes, right? So yes. what's the marketing position here? They don't have any choice. Like, do they? Do they have any choice in the matter? Well, it's funny because when I I meet managers at different companies uh, for consulting, you know, I always try to bring into the conversation the topic of customer centricity, and of course, they will say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, we're we're really customer centric, or we want to be customer centric." You know, customers are so important; it's the first, you know, and and that's why when you read privacy policy, what is the the first statement? Your privacy is really important to us. BS, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> What they care about is next quarter profit is really important to us. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do everything we can to be legally compliant, but make sure that we still make enough profit to please our shareholders. So in the balance, which one comes first? And then I bring in the conversation, are you uh, data-driven or we should say data informed, but I ask, are you data driven? And of course they're going to say, oh yeah, yeah, we have a ton of data. We're, we have so much data. We don't know what to do with it. Right. <laughs> 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 but we're, yeah, yeah. Data, we're, we're definitely data driven because the data is driving <laughs> everything. And then the simple question is, okay, but give me examples of why you think you are customer centric and why you think you are data, data driven or data informed. And usually what I get is, is like panic. It's something they aspire to, but on a daily basis, of course, there are exceptions, but on a daily basis, most of the time, managers are not able to, to really share a little story about why they are uniquely customer-centric and data-driven in comparison to their competitors. Right? They, they have a hard time expressing what is their unique value proposition in that perspective. And, and of course, there's a conflict between the marketing aspiration to be customer-centric and pleasing the shareholders. And, and maybe that's a consequence of how the economy is working these days. And that's we see that's changing with example like Patagonia where they don't have external shareholders. So who do they please? Well, well of course, I guess they please themselves by making some profits and so on. But beyond that, they can be more oriented toward, toward their customers. There's only a few ways to make sure that a company will be there in the future. Either you increase uh, revenues, either you reduce costs, and the third variable is satisfaction, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, shareholder satisfaction, right? There's no, those are the three variables that you can play with if you want to create sustainability in the future and still be there as a as a business as an organization there's only three variables revenue reducing costs and satisfaction but satisfaction not only for customers but also for all the the other player and and in satisfaction we we need to add the uh, regulators and uh, the being a good corporate citizen and stuff like that it's, those are the variables that you can play with there's nothing else in my opinion maybe someone would object to that, but I feel like those are the only three things that we can play with. There still seems to be a conflict in this, in this system 
inevitable conflict with ethical concerns and the economy built around mm. growth, consistent growth, you know, that, that uh, growth is built in the system so yeah. that it's very difficult to avoid it, right? And yeah. when, when the growth is required, uh, you have to do some compromises. You have to mm -hmm. make decisions that maybe otherwise you wouldn't make. But the problem I see is that it's very difficult to find someone who would be able to turn this around. Let's say marketing director at a company could say like, all right, so that's what I, I wish I could do. But, you know, I'm going to consult with the CEO. They say like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, I wish, but uh, there is yeah. the board. And then, you know, the board you know, like, oh, we wish, but there are investors. And yes. so you know, it's a kind of like the system. And what it does for me is that the system removes accountability for every person because every person in this chain think, oh, it's not me, right? Mm -hmm. And they kind of, oh, yeah. I don't feel like personally accountable. My conscience is clean. I'm going to sleep well. Mm -hmm. And the bad things continue yeah. to happen while everybody is feeling just fine yeah but i would push back on that uh, for a couple of reasons one is we shouldn't portray shareholders as evil who are just there to make a profit right yes there are cases like that sadly still but there are changes in the way investors and shareholders are looking at companies and they are looking at the environmental impact or, and they are looking at how the company is treating its employees. And they are looking at how data is handled. Because if they invest into a company and a month later, there's a data leak, bye-bye the investment, right? Uh, so it is changing. Uh, so shareholders and investors are not only there for profit. They, they, yes, they want to make a profit because that's, that's the way the systems work. But we see more and more investment firms that will not invest into some kinds of companies, like some industries, for example. When they do a due diligence, they will do a due diligence of security and privacy also, because they know it's going to impact their ability to monetize their investment. So yes, that, that's going to change. And, and the regulation, the law makes a difference also because if you take GDPR and suddenly like the investors, they, they realize that they could lose, the company could lose a lot of money if, there's, if they are found in breach of GDPR and it's going to cost a lot of money. They're going to think twice about investing into those companies. So it's going to change. And yes, the responsibility, individual responsibility, we might feel like, they go to bed and they don't care and so on. And, and oftentimes we, we hear parallels with the, you know, World War II and Germany, uh, the a war context where individual people might say, no, no, that was not my fault. It's not my responsibility. I, I was following orders, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't take individual responsibility. There's a little bit of the same in, in larger corporation where eventually it needs to go back to the top. It, that's the only way it can work. And it's part of the culture of the company also, uh, taking in individual responsibility for their decisions and not always blaming the system or I was just following orders. So yeah, I think that's going to change also. Yeah, I think that with regulations becoming more stricter and enforced more regularly. Mm -hmm. and, but also, you know, uh, there is this environmental problems 
they are quite well known among general public and mm -hmm. people do pay attention to at least you know claims uh, that brands mm -hmm. make it's quite shallow for now but it's still progress there is less about this in, when it comes to data ethics so probably yeah. we need to make data ethics more well known what is this about and those simple ideas that privacy is a human right mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. absolutely they, they think that it's a human right Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a human yeah. right, and the one of the things that annoys me right now is that the regulation decides what should remain the the privacy, the private space of someone. For example, uh, be it uh, sexual orientation or mm. political values and stuff like that. I you know I understand from a legal perspective, from an ethical perspective, the only person who should be able to decide if their sexual orientation is private or public is the person themselves, is the individual themselves. So if I I don't know if I'm straight or I'm gay or you know I should be the one deciding do do I want to be advertised based on this attribute. And I understand there are protections and there are legal regulations and so on, but I should be the one deciding if my skin color makes a difference in terms of advertising. If I want to be advertised be, for products because I'm white or I'm black or, you know, all of those attributes that, it, so it, it's in trying to regulate the whole environment, it creates also more risks for the individual in some ways because yes there there could be discrimination based on gender and orient sexual orientation or skin color and you know all the all of those aspects i totally understand that but that's what define the individuality of the person and they should be the one deciding if that attribute that fact should be used for marketing or not so here I'm, I'm kind of going the opposite way, right? Of what a lot of people in ethics are saying. No, no, no. Uh, advertising based on uh, based on race and religion and sexual orientation. That's bad, bad. Don't do that. Why? If the person wants to be advertised based on those attributes, it's their choice. So mm -hmm. it's open for debate. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's an interesting discussion, like agency, but at the same time, literacy of people when it comes to data like oh, do yeah. they really understand you know that, that there are opinions that maybe there should be some sort of paternalistic approach to data mm -hmm. and consumers mm -hmm. should not be allowed to share certain yeah. data I because saw that. they yeah. don't really understand uh There's, the implications yeah it's, uh, they're too yeah. stupid to understand yeah. the impact of the data that companies have about them. And obviously, I don't agree with that. Um, data literacy is super important. It will never be perfect, but there needs to be tools and solutions that makes it easier and more accessible, just like the Apple uh, approach to uh, privacy labels. It made it a lot simpler, and it's accessible to whoever wants to learn a little bit about it right uh, it's easy to understand so there are other ways uh, the technology exists there are ways there are solutions to make privacy be in the control of the user we can just think about uh, the initiatives going on in terms of zero-party data 
imagine how the world would be different if when the when the web started uh, because it's really like the marketing really started on the internet when the web started started because before that it was research government uh, military and so on there was no advertising at all so it's only when the and at first on the web there was no advertising but it started when they replicated what they knew at the time and what they knew at the time was the newspapers the tv and the radio where you broadcast and you don't the individual user doesn't have any control so imagine how it would be different if from the start the user had been in control of who they want to be which advertisers they want to receive a marketing message from it would be a totally different world if if the notion of zero party data had been there right from the start the world would be would be a different place today that's a big statement but i think it would be different uh, certainly we wouldn't be in the mess that we are right now in terms of cookie uh, pop-ups and stuff like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I agree. But at the same time, it's a demonstration of why we need a regulation. So like for mm -hmm. me, the reason we are today is because that's what people do if there are no regulations. Exactly. Yeah. It's just society cannot regulate itself. And the yeah. internet, you know, if you do not put restrictions, there will be all sorts of things going on Absolutely. Uh, without end. Yeah, absolutely. I agree uh, 100%. Uh, can you trust data brokers to regulate themselves? <laughs> Just no, asking the yeah. questions like, <laughs> <laughs> let's go have a beer instead. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, something interesting is going on with uh, the metaverse because other experiments of a second life or even uh, creating artificial intelligence bots, uh, you know, there was um, the initiative from Microsoft with a, a chatbot that they had to pull the plug pretty quickly because it was becoming racist and sexist and everything. So all of the negative aspects of society are replicated in the virtual environment, regardless of which one it is. But I bet you that uh, you know on, on Second Life, for example, there were there were issues of teeth and and even uh, rape, <laughs> you know, in the virtual world. There were all the issues of society were also present in the virtual world. So, how can we expect the society or you know people to self-regulate if there is there is no barriers and there is no limit because oh it's virtual it's not real so anything can happen. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, by the way, I'm not. I'm not a believer of the metaverse. And what I always say is I have enough with my real life version one that I don't want a second life version two. <laughs> so I don't need I don't need a virtual environment, especially not with avatars that look like dinosaurs without legs and stuff like that. We can we can make all the fun uh, about it. But yeah, I, I I just don't see the interest. But I'm not in, probably not in the age group, or I know I'm not the right target for for the metaverse. Obviously, yeah, metaverse is a you know it's a rabbit hole, a long conversation yeah. well, on its own. If you if you think about the metaverse and the fact that they would you know there's patent technology being developed that they it would track your retina to know what you're looking at in the metaverse in order to better advertise to you. It's like, isn't there a better use of technology and other than, than trying to advertise more because in the, the virtual world, you've looked at some, something on a virtual shelf, a virtual product on a virtual shelf in a virtual world, but trying to 
sell to you something in the real world that yeah <laughs> i don't buy it <laughs> okay um where can my listeners find you on the web uh these days i think the easiest is simply to follow me on on linkedin i had a website i shut it down because i i really didn't need it i have enough work to do with my clients on their website um, but yeah just look me up on on linkedin you're gonna find me very easily for now i'll thank stefan for coming on the show thank you stefan welcome for having me and uh, thank you very much i really enjoyed those conversations And I want to thank the audience for listening to conversations about ethical problems in marketing and making our profession better. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That's it for now. And until next time, bye.